Hi there, Duke fans. It is episode 419 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And the roster, the roster for next season keeps on changing almost on a daily basis. So we are here to catch you up on all the latest. I am Jason Evans. I will be your host today on our journey. I am joined as I have been virtually every single time on this long, long trek down the Duke basketball road by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Donald, how are you feeling this morning? Feeling pretty good. Uh, we have a new player of the Brotherhood, and I'm very, very excited to have him. There you go. And Sam Klein, uh, Sam, looks like you're not in the office today. I am not in the office today. I am back at home, and I am also excited for new guys and new opportunities for Duke. Yeah, let's get right to it. It's clear that uh, we all want to talk about this. It, this happened. It feels like this happened really fast, and I'm not sure that it did happen. You know, it may, may just be that the public didn't know that much about it. Uh, there are some people, you know, we, we, we spoke on this podcast uh, like last week about Coach K and John Shire and the entire coaching staff going to see a Boston Celtics game um, and uh, to, to presumably to watch Jason Tatum. But, but it may have been to do a little bit of recruiting up in Boston at Harvard because just yesterday word came down that the Blue Devils had gotten their first player out of this year's transfer portal. He is... Kale Catchings, who played for Harvard this past year, um, a, a player who played for Tommy Amaker. It is worth noting that we did not take him away from Tommy. Um, Kale is a uh, graduate of Harvard, and uh, the Ivy League does not allow players to play once they've graduated from, um, from being an undergrad. So Kale Catchings was no longer eligible to play at Harvard, and so he went to the Harvard of the South, so to speak. Um, going down to to Durham. I guess actually the joke is that Harvard is the Duke of the North. So I, I completely blew that one. I apologize. Yeah, come on, Jason. What are you doing? <laughs> you know Give us some is. credit here, man. Yeah, I, I don't know why I said that. But in any event, as I continue to roll on, Kale Catchings headed to, to the Blue Devils. He is 6'6", six, six, uh, weighs, weighs about 220 pounds. Um, decent outside shot, hit about 36% of his three-pointers last year. Didn't take a ton of them, but has shown an ability to hit the three-pointer. A very nifty passer. Um, averaged more than four assists per game for Harvard. Averaged about nine points per game. Um, he's someone who's capable of playing on the perimeter, but also has the bulk and strength to play inside. I would say he's a bit more athletically gifted, but maybe not quite as skilled as Bates Jones. And a lot of people are saying these, this guy's going to fill the same kind of role that Bates Jones played. Not a huge player, in games, you know, may we certainly will occasionally find roles and moments where we might need him, but someone who will be a important veteran in practices, you know, a guy who's been around the college game for several years now um, and can really help the, the freshman because Duke's team next year will largely be built around the freshman, but he can really help the freshman understand what it takes in practice to become the best they can be. So Sam, I'll go to you first. What, what were your thoughts when you heard that Kale Catchings would be joining the Blue Devils? Well, there was all the speculation that uh, about the Tommy Amaker stuff uh, headed into the the John Shire announcement, or, or I guess post John Shire head coach announcement that Tommy Amaker was interested, or he was offered, or he was a finalist uh, for the for the head coach position at Duke. Uh, if any of the rumors are are really deeply true, uh, then man, what an additional layer of intrigue that not only did John Shire take. Tommy Amaker's job, but he took one of his old players. Not as you said, Jason. Not that that Tommy was able to use him this year, but hopefully this means that that the relationships there are are mended to the extent that they were that they were hurt at all. Uh, I'm excited about this. 
I, I think that the, the Tommy Amaker connection is actually a positive one for Duke. It means that the guy coming in, look, we, we know that, that John Shire is going to make some changes to the program, but, but we believe that a lot of the culture is going to remain in place from the Mike Krzyzewski era. And bringing a guy in who is a transfer from Harvard who played for Tommy Amaker means that he's probably already bought into a lot of, of what John Shire is trying to build at Duke. So, you know, from, from a cultural fit, it, it, this has to make sense. Catchings has been at Harvard for four years, uh, didn't transfer during COVID when the Ivy League was totally shut down. He's, he's stuck with the program there. So you got to figure that he's, that, that he's a, a high character guy for a, for a number of reasons. And then on the court, as you said, filling sort of the Bates Jones role. I don't know if he's quite the shooter that Bates Jones was, but he, um, he brings a little bit more of a big man presence, undersized, of course, for the ACC, which is why he was playing in the Ivy League, probably. Uh, he, he, was, he was more of an interior guy at Harvard. And so I expect him more to be backing up the three and four spot than, than like the two, three spot for, for Duke. Uh, would be definitely undersized if he's, if he's coming in to play extended minutes at the four, but is a pretty good rebounder, uh, is a pretty good uh pretty good shooter from inside knows how to take, how to take good shots. And I expect uh, him to add to the leadership roster that is at the moment, uh, the Jeremy Roach and Joey Baker show. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for a few reasons. One, uh, I, I just want to point out that Kale catchings is the nephew of Tamika catching. So if he has any of that talent in his body, then we are in good shape because Tamika catchings is one of the legends of basketball. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually not just that, but his grandfather is former NBA player, Harvey catchings, a, a big man who played for Philly and Milwaukee during the seventies and the eighties for more than, more than a I decade. Was, I was just about to mention that. Yeah. So he has, yeah. he hasn't run it through his veins. Uh, he has, he has that pedigree. So uh, I, I love that part. I just wanted to make that note first of all, but i also think, I think you guys are both right in the sense that he's going to be more in the Bates Jones kind of role off the bench a guy who can provide some quality depth at different positions, but not necessarily called on to score, you know, 10, 15 points a game or be a guy who's going to contribute heavily off the bench. But I do think that his presence is going to be very much needed on a team that's going to have a few holes on the depth part of things, you know, backing up a couple of positions, having a guy who can do that is going to be great. Now, I preface this by saying I, I know people kind of have a little bit of PTSD when it comes to Ivy League transfers because of Patrick to pay. But I do think that this is going to be a different scenario. Again, the pedigree is there. And also he's going to be backing up a couple of different roles on a different basketball team. And I think that he will he will show a little bit more moxie in being a veteran and being able to step in and lead some of these kids that are coming in to Duke this fall. So I'm really excited about having Kale Catchings here. I think I don't think he's the only one that's coming to Durham. And I, and I hope that I'm right when I say that, but I also think that him being the guy that comes in, I think he's going to be a nice success. Again, a lot of success that we've seen in the transfer portal has been because we found guys that have fit the roles that they, that we need. And I think this is one that we're going to need next year. Yeah. I think you guys nailed it. This is not someone who I think we're going to see a ton of on the floor. Um, but it, it is worth noting that having, having depth is, a important in practice, but also, you know, in, in case of an injury, in case of foul trouble, who knows what could happen. If this is the kind of piece you have sort of at the very back end of your bench, but capable of, of inserting into the lineup, 
that's that's a great luxury for for a first year head coach in John Shire and and for any program to have. So someone who has a, a lot of experience, a lot of minutes playing college basketball, and 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 has been reasonably successful at it. So yeah, I'm 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 quite excited to, to add him to the program. Donald, you mentioned this notion of uh, oh, he's probably not the only guy um, coming to coming to Duke from the portal, and I, I want to mention um, a, a couple other players because. There's actually there was actually a news story um, the other day about players that Duke, the Duke men's basketball Twitter account was following on Twitter that it had recently added three new players to its follows. And, you know, that doesn't on the one hand, you feel like kind of a silly thing to note. Oh, who is who is Duke men's basketball following on Twitter? But on the other hand. One of the three players that they added just in the past couple of days was Kale Catchings, and he turned around and committed to Duke within hours. I'm not saying that the that you know one was necessarily connected to the other, but but still, it's an indication of who the Duke staff is looking at. And hey, Jason, the brand is strong. I mean, if you if some yeah. if some big guy follows you or some big account follows you, you kind of walk around. And you go, yo, they're following me. This must be a sign of something good. It was a sign of something good. Yeah. So the, the other two guys that the Duke men's basketball Twitter account is following, um, one of them is a, a Northwestern big man named Ryan Young. Um, Ryan Young is 6'10", 240 pounds. This, this, this is a big fellow. Um, and, and like several of the other guys who have ended up transferring, portaling over to Duke, he has a connection to the program. He played at Northwestern. And so Chris Collins was his head coach. Uh, it, it, it seems like you know, we, we always talk about Duke having a, a certain type of player character mattering and, and investment and buying into the program, all that other kind of stuff that, that Coach K really valued, that he actually looked for the, these kind of attributes even more so than necessarily looking only for talent. And, 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 you know, the fact that Duke keeps on grabbing guys who come from programs that are in some way connected to Duke, I think, you know, speaks a little bit of volumes. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Twitter, the Twitterverse has said that he's either coming in for a recruiting visit either this week or this weekend. I, I couldn't confirm which one was true, but yeah. it sounds like things are coming to the point where he is going to come and take a look at campus as part of his decision-making process. Yeah, and I want to be clear about Ryan Young. Uh, I, I, I see him very much like Theo John, um, a, a, a guy who was in a major conference uh, who, who played a role for his team, but does not expect, I don't think, to come in and be an instant starter at Duke. He, he would not be. This would be, like Theo, a, a backup big man kind of role. I, I want folks to understand, Theo John was, was a really elite shot blocker, and Ryan Young is not that. He, he's more of a scorer. He'll have more of a scorer's mentality than, than Theo John did, but he's not going to block shots the way, the way he's not going to be as athletic in, in the post as, as Theo John was, but so Ryan Young is one of the names that, that, that Duke is following. And then the other one um, is, is AJ Green, who we've already spoken about in this podcast. Uh, he's the player from Northern Iowa, uh, the sharpshooter from the perimeter. It's worth noting that the AJ Green's process may take a little while. He, he's done a couple radio interviews in the past couple of days. And he has said that, at the moment he is focused on working out for NBA teams and because he's, he's in the NBA draft, he's entered his name, 
Uh, most people expect him to pull his name out of the NBA draft, but he's said that for the moment, he is trying to see if he can convince NBA teams that he is worth taking a shot on. Um, and, and so it could take a little while for the green situation to, to work its way out, but, but it does appear that Duke is pretty involved with him. And as we've spoken about with other guys who are sort of marginally potential NBA draft picks, the NIL implications here, uh, you know, should be taken into account, right? If he's, if he's coming to Duke, Absolutely. Uh, you hope that, that there are opportunities for him to, you know, make a little bit of money that would replace some of that G league salary uh, that he would uh, primarily be getting next year. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's worth noting, you know, your immediate hesitation on AJ green is the fact that his father is an assistant coach at Iowa state. Uh, AJ has been pretty clear in some of these interviews he's given that he is not, automatically going to play you know he's he's going to give iowa state a look he's going to talk to the program but he's you would think that if this kid was set on playing for his father he would just go ahead and say i'm either going to go to the nba or i'm going to play for my dad but but the fact that he is listening to offers from other schools the fact that he is talking actively to duke duke is one of the schools that he has said he is speaking to uh, you know gives you a sense that there's a possibility here there's one other name i want to talk about um a guy named baylor shireman uh, yes, his last name is Shireman, um, who everyone is incredibly excited about. Jeff Goodman has called him the most desired player in the transfer portal uh, this year. Uh, Baylor, uh, Baylor Shireman announced that he was uh, going to enter the portal, and almost instantly, literally every major program in the country had reached out to him. Duke had reached out to him, Kansas, Kentucky, you name it. Every big Gonzaga, uh, everyone out there has reached out to, to this kid who is a, a dynamic scorer, a great passer, a really good shooter from three. He is another guy who's put his name into the draft, lottery, uh, into the draft NBA draft, and he's looking at the NBA, but most people think he's going to end up transferring. Duke fans, uh, especially on Twitter, went crazy I got about Baylor Shireman right off the bat, and immediately were like, yes, 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 this is the guy we need to get if Trevor Keels doesn't come back. I, I, wanna, I want folks to hit the brakes on that a little bit. It's, it's worth noting that Baylor Shireman grew up a Kansas fan, he is from the state of Nebraska. He has talked openly about perhaps wanting to come home and play for Creighton, which is the big basketball program from that state. Um, and there are strong rumors, strong talk that Kentucky is being super aggressive in name, image, and likeness and NIL and putting a big offer on the table for Baylor Shireman. I, 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 I'm not saying that Duke is out of the running here, but just reading the tea leaves, it feels like this kid who, yes, would be a great fit at Duke probably is looking at Kentucky, Kansas, staying home or the NBA ahead of looking at Duke. And like I said earlier, Duke is not following him on Twitter, <laughs> but they are following AJ Green. Donald, uh, what's your take on all this portal craziness going on right now? Well, let me go back to uh, Baylor Shireman for a second, because um, you mentioned a bunch of teams who are looking at at him and in I think Jeff Goodman said he was the most coveted transfer portal player ever I think he used those words and he put it in all caps I don't know how you know how real that is but I want to be clear that the Goodman's wrong about that because Kofi Coburn was in the transfer portal last year and correct now he ended up going back to Illinois but Kofi Coburn had he legitimately been in the portal forget about it everyone in the country would have taken that guy I, I think I even called him um, just to have him on my like rec team. But um, I, I think when it comes to Baylor Shireman, he would be a great pickup for Duke. 
And I think when you look at all these other schools that you're saying may have the lead or whatever, I don't care. Duke has Duke has beaten them for for several signatures in the past, in the recent past as well. Uh, we've come in last minute. You have teams who come in last minute and snuck and, and snipe team or snipe players out from other underneath the, the feet of other people. And that doesn't mean that Duke is going to do this or that Duke is going to do this. What I'm saying is I would love to see Baylor Shireman on this team because I think his shooting ability, we've we talked about some guys that had natural shooting ability and shot well from beyond the arc, how great they would fit into this offense. Um, I, we would talk about natural pack before he went to Miami about how he would fit a similar role. Baylor Shireman is that type of player. He also can pass the ball very, very well. We saw that during the season for him. I even think we saw that in the conference tournaments where he had a couple of behind the back plays that made sports center. This guy is one of those type of players. Uh, he's, he's a real deal and could be a great, great presence for Duke, especially uh, a veteran leadership guy who can come in, play starters minutes and, and make, and, and make starter production. Uh, and I think that's what everyone's looking for. And that's why he's so coveted. When you look at the Kale Catchings edition, as I said earlier, uh, I don't know that he, he's not going to start for Duke. He's, he's valuable depth, like the eight or ninth guy off the, off the bench. This guy, Baylor Shireman could be the, the sixth man on a, on a high level team. It sounds like every big program wants him. And oh, let's be, wait, wait, let's be clear. I think Baylor Shireman, if he comes to Duke, it would, it would be an indication that Duke does not think that, that Trevor Keels is coming back and that Baylor Shireman would be coming and in. And that he'd be starting. Right. Be starting, yeah, yeah. right. Six, six man as like the, maybe even as like the floor for him, right? He's a, he's a big time player. Uh, and, and so this is, this is one that I don't know how, how close Duke got or, or is getting to, to landing him, but that would be a, a much bigger get for John Shire and, and, you know, bigger than, than any transfer that Duke has had probably since, I don't know, Rodney Hood, um, you know, he'd be a, he'd be an enormous impact player. Uh, and not to mention that uh, I like his headband game. <laughs> exactly. It's very, I, it's very strong. I, I do want to point something out because every time a guy enters his name in the portal, who, who shot better than 35, 36% from three-point range. Uh, Duke fans go, ooh, this guy could fit. This guy could fit. Uh, what if I told you that there was a, a, a guy who had hit better than 40% of his three-pointers last year at a Power 5 school who was already on the Duke roster? I, I, I was going to say, are you talking about Joey Baker? I'm talking about Joey Baker, yes. I think Duke fans, we get all excited about these guys at, at mid-majors or, or even lower majors and we go, wow, that, you know, imagine that guy in a Duke uniform. Well, I'm not sure many of those guys are better than Joey Baker. And, and I, I, I still think there was something going on with Joey's health late in the year. I still think that, that there could be a... Well, Jason, we know there was something going on with yeah. Joey's health late in the year because he had, he had surgery right after the season. So right. the extent to which that was limiting him throughout the year <laughs> is sort of the, the unknown in this. Yeah, and, but... My, my overall point is uh, it, it's easy to look at the thing you don't have and go, ooh, wow, I really want that. There's something we already have that I think can have a major impact on next year's team. And I, I, I just keep coming back to Joey Baker is not coming back to Duke to sit on the bench all year. I just, I, I can't believe that that's the case. And, and I think the shooting part of, of things is what people draw to first. But for me, it's the fact that he can pass, he can score. He was the summit league player of the year. Like, it's not like this guy is just 
a bent, you know, a role player that's like, hey, I want to do another role over here. And for Joey Baker, I think the question is going to be if we do go after someone like Baylor Shireman, is if he will be ready to go by the start of the season. I know he's already had the surgery, but surgeries, you know, don't always go 100% with regards to recovery. So the question is going to be how ready is he going to be? It, it was the same question we had with AJ Griffin when he had his injury, you know, during practice. Those questions linger until we see more. And we're not going to hear more about Joey Baker's recovery process until later in the summer. But the question is going to be, will he be ready to contribute? If he is ready to contribute, Jason, I do agree with you that, yes, we have this guy on our team and he can fill up, he can fill, fill up the bucket like anybody else in college basketball. And we've seen that from time to time. But if he's not ready, it'd be great to have someone who complements his game that we can stick in his absence. And it is and it is worth noting in all of this stuff that I think all three of us would agree that the guy we most want starting at shooting guard for Duke next year is Trevor Keels. That is still very, very much a possibility there. You know, we, we mentioned Brendan Marks was the, the first reporter out there to sort of say, you know, this is not a sure thing. Trevor Keels may be in the draft, but it's not a sure thing that he's going to stay in the draft. There have now been several other articles that picked up on that. Um, I, I know Donald on the last podcast said he was somewhat skeptical <laughs> that, that that's how thing would work out. I want to be clear that no one is expecting or, you know, forecasting that Trevor Keels will pull out of the draft, but it is still a possibility. All right, guys, we have done enough of the, uh, you know, trying to figure out the roster for next year. These are things that will continue to hash their way out in coming weeks. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, the last of the Dukies to declare for the draft. We've been talking constantly about guys who would or would not put their names in the draft. Uh, A.J. Griffin declared for the draft the other day. And when we come back from the break, we'll reflect a little bit on his career. we got plenty of more other stuff to talk about. That's coming up right after a quick commercial break. And we're back from the break, and we're going to start by, as we have done with every other guy who left the Blue Devils to move on to the next level, we're going to talk a little bit about the career of A.J. Griffin, who declared on Sunday afternoon. It was after we recorded our podcast on Sunday, and he said that he is entering the NBA draft. This is not a surprise. This is something that everyone expected all along. He is forecast by everyone to be one of the top 10 picks in the draft, easily a lottery pick, and, and had it has a really interesting NBA profile because he's got you know, a super mature body. Uh, and yet he has a remarkable, just incredible shooting touch. Sam, I'll come to you first. Give me some thoughts. Look back on the career of AJ Griffin as a blue devil. Coming into last season, we, we knew about the injury, but the thing I was most excited about was the athleticism. Uh, if you look at that team photo from the beginning of the year and you tried and, and you don't know the guys, and you start asking, all right, how old are each of these players? You look at the way A.J. Griffin is shaped, and you're like, he's got to be a junior or a senior on this team. There's no way that this dude is a freshman. Sculpted. And, I mean, he literally he literally looks like he was sculpted by a Greek, you know, artist. Yeah, he's he's incredible looking. Uh, so so I was excited about that. I was excited about the athleticism. I was excited about his ability to be, you know, a, a, another rebounder on this team. And what I didn't realize, and I don't know if, if Duke fans in general realized how good of a shooter he was going to be. He was a good shooter in high school, but you don't sort of assume that that thing is going to translate as well as it did for AJ Griffin. Donald. And, no. <laughs> Donald. Yeah, Donald. Donald's the only one that knew. So, 
So I'm going to look back on the season and be like the, the moments for AJ Griffin were, were as good as they were for any of the freshmen this season. And that includes Paulo Bancaro, like AJ Griffin's best performances this year were as good as Paulo Bancaro's best performances in terms of you saw the athleticism, you saw the defense, you saw the shooting, you saw entirely why he is going to make total sense in the NBA. He has work to do. Uh, he, there, are, there are a lot of aspects of his game that can improve, but uh, I, am, I am very excited to see, uh, to see the kind of development that he puts in in the NBA. I'm curious to see what position he primarily plays, not that positions make so much of a difference these days in the NBA, but it's not like he's, it's not like he's so huge from a, like, a height and length perspective that, that he could be like a, a really dominant big man. He's going to be an outside player, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that, and, and I wish him well. I think that, that he's going to have a successful NBA career. You, you talked about him being dominant at times. He had a run from like early January to the end of February where he hit, A.J. Griffin hit multiple, multiple three-pointers in 12 out of 16 games for the Blue Devils. That, that ain't easy to do, people. Um, there were two occasions, two games, where he hit five three-pointers in a game against Syracuse and Louisville. And then toward the end of the season, he hit six three-pointers, six the second time he played Syracuse, he was an absolute Syracuse killer this year. Uh, I, I wish, you know, if, if we're going to really reflect on AJ Griffin's career, I wish he'd been a little more aggressive on offense. There were, uh, it seemed to me like when he took the ball to the hole, when he took it in the lane, he was incredible, at, you know, because of his physical size, he was able to shed defenders. He was able to absorb contact. He was great at getting his shoulders square to the basket. And, and I really, I really, God, I, I felt like this was a guy who all year long, I was like, yeah, he's an incredible outside shooter, but he's going to add that penetration game. And it never quite came together the way I, I thought it might. But this is someone who I, I really felt like there were, there are plenty of times this year I looked at him and I was like, there's, God, there's no excuse for this guy not scoring 15, 18 points per game. He, he just has that kind of body. He has that kind of offensive arsenal. And, and I think that the, the reason he's going to get drafted so high by the NBA is they see that as well. He's, he's kind of, he's young for his draft class. And, and I suspect it may not be immediate, but in a few years, you know, by the time he's, you know, two, three years in the league, I think this is a guy who's going to be much more. There's talk. He's a three and D kind of player. I think he's going to be even more than a three and D kind of player in the NBA, but he's really going to be a, um, a guy who is a focal point for his team on the offensive end of the floor and who um, is a physical presence on defense. Donald, reflect on his career. I, I think that last point you mentioned, I think that's the one thing that I'm going to hope for him to improve when he's in the NBA, to go from like the third scoring option to figuring out how a way to be the number one scoring option or even the number two scoring option on a team. Because I think that he has that potential. And we saw that quite a bit last year. Again, you know, forget the shooting part of things, because as you mentioned, I – I knew that back at the beginning that he was going to be one of the best shooters on the team, if not the best shooter on the team, but it was about his presence on the floor that made it, it like his personality. You could tell it was infectious. His smile was everything. And you could tell he enjoyed being on the court. So when he got hurt in that practice, I knew how much that hurt him to not be on the court with his guys, to be on the floor where he is so happy. And even during the season, you could tell, even when we were down, there was a calming presence about him. And he had that mentality to go out and, and shoot a three and get us back into the game or make a, a killer dunk that would take us, you know, give us momentum. 
And I want to see him do more of that in the NBA. I think that's the one thing that he can improve on is, yo, you can do that every night if you want to. Just go ahead and do it and, and have that mentality of, hey, I'm coming in. I'm here to score 25 points and I'm here to destroy your soul uh, once or twice a game. So I think those little things are going to be what I'm looking for in the NBA. And I think he's going to go to a great situation. And, and of course, he has the, the pedigree. His dad is in the NBA um, as, a, as an executive for the Raptors. Um, assistant so, coach. He's the associate head coach for the Raptors. Coach, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, he has the pedigree of, of knowing what it takes to be in the NBA. He's been around NBA guys. He's not going to be blinded by the lights. And we saw that in clutch time, that this guy is not blinded by any you know pressure whatsoever. So I, I really enjoyed watching him play this year. I really am looking forward to watching him thrive in the NBA. And I think that once he gets that mentality down where, yo, I am the scoring option, not a, a scoring option. The kid's going to be an all-star that, that he could, he could be that good, that good in the NBA. All right. So speaking of the NBA, last thing we're going to do on the podcast today, I want us to look, we, we've talked a little bit about what some of these dookies are doing in the NBA playoffs. Cause wow. I mean, they're guys balling. They're, guys, they're dookies out there who are seriously balling. I have a question for the two of you, Jason Tatum or Brandon Ingram, who is having a better playoff? And this is not an easy question. And I'm going to set it up with this. I'm going to give you Jason Tatum's stats and I'm going to give you Brandon Ingram's stats. Tatum is averaging 29 and a half points per game. He's averaging 7.3 assists per game. I'm going to repeat that one. Jason Tatum is averaging 7.3 assists per game, averaging better than four and a half rebounds per game in the playoffs hitting almost 42% of his three-pointers. Um, and uh, and, and his, his team has advanced to the next round. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Brandon Ingram is averaging better than 28 points per game, better than six rebounds per game, better than five assists per game. And he's hitting almost 43% from the three-point line. Brandon Ingram's team, the New Orleans Pelicans, of course, are locked in a tough battle with the Phoenix Suns. The Suns currently lead that series three games to two, but the whole, one of the major reasons that New Orleans is even threatening to take out the number one seed Phoenix Suns is because of the play of Brandon Ingram. So are you going for the Dookie that's almost averaging 30 points per game, or are you going for the other Dookie who's also almost averaging 30 points per game? Sam, which one you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the Dookie that managed to stifle Kevin Durant and sweep one of the best teams in the NBA, which is the Celtics. Uh, so, which is, which is no slight, I think, to Brandon Ingram. Uh, right now, the Pelicans are down 3-2 to the Suns, but they have put up, you know, until like last night was a bit more of a runaway. But generally speaking, they've put up a, a pretty damn good fight against one of the top seeds in the West. But the Nets, you know, the, the Nets uh, didn't have the, the record this year because of the injuries and the trades and stuff. But that's the team led by Kevin Durant, where Kyrie Irving is now playing in every game. That's the team that has all the firepower. And the Celtics managed to not neutralize Kevin Durant, but Jason Tatum was able to at least hold him down so that the, the Celtics could pull away in all four of those games. Again, they swept Kevin Durant in the first round. And that was in large part due to Jason Tatum's defense. All right, Donald, your turn. Tatum or Ingram? Okay, so here's the thing. You're asking me to choose between Jason Tatum and Brandon Ingram in the playoffs. And I'm going to tell you that the correct answer is yes. There's no either or. It's <laughs> the correct answer is yes. Both of them are just absolutely dominating in the playoffs. However, 
the fact that you are asking me to pick one, I will go ahead and say that it is Jason Tatum for the, for the reasons that Sam mentioned, particularly the defensive part, because I think locking down, I, I say this in air quotes, locking down Kevin Durant is one of the hardest things to do in sports. And he was able to successfully do that for four games. Kevin Durant, even though he was getting his points, looked completely out of sorts. And because of that, the Nets did. Um, and because of the and because Kevin Durant was kind of off his game just ever so slightly, the Nets couldn't overcome the Boston Celtics. So uh, I'm going to go with Jason Tatum for that. But make no mistake, the correct answer is both of them. I, I like that answer, Donald. Uh, I, I will say if, if forced to choose, I'm also going to take Tatum. And just like you guys, I think that the difference is at the defensive end of the floor where Jason Tatum is turning himself and this was not the player he was a few years ago when he first came in the league but he is he is quietly slowly turning himself into one of the better defenders in the nba i think he will he will start to be in the conversation pretty soon for all nba defensive team uh he is he is showing himself to be that good of a defender and and that's to me the difference because their offensive stats are are very very similar both guys are scorching the nets both guys are taking on tremendous um creative responsibility for their teams in terms of creating shots for other folks. And, and I, I just think, you know, it, it's, it, it's clear to me that these guys are both really impressive NBA players. And by the way, speaking of the NBA playoffs, have you guys noticed Grayson Allen, Grayson Allen in the past two games with the Milwaukee bucks, 22. Jason, points. I was going to ask you, yeah. I was Ooh. going to ask you if we could include if we could include Grayson Allen in the uh, in the list of who's been the most impressive Duke player in the playoffs because he is he's scorching it right now. I'm so booing the, with the love. Last, I'm saying boo with love. Boo. I know the the last two games uh, for Grayson Allen. Game three, he scores 22 points for the Milwaukee Bucks on five of seven shooting. By the way, he led the team in scoring. I want to repeat that. Grayson Allen led the defending uh, the defending NBA champs in scoring. Uh, in game three and in game four he was even better 27 points six of seven from three and as donald indicated his teammates were actively booing him because grayson allen performs best when the crowd is on him and so grayson allen's teammates were booing him from the bench uh, uh, you know like donald said boo for love and i guarantee you they're they're about to play their next game in that series and uh actually i guess Tonight is game six, so that's going to be on the road again. I don't know. The, the next time they have a home game, the next time they have a home game, the crowd in Milwaukee is going to boo him incessantly, aren't they, Donald? Game five is tonight. It's in Milwaukee. Oh, it's game five. Okay. Yeah. You're going to hear boos, and it's going to be the most loving boos you've ever – it's it's a great story. Well, the, the story behind it is because of the, uh, the foul that he had on Caruso um, back, like, during the regular season in Chicago – he got suspended for a game and Caruso was out for six weeks. So the Bulls fans, every single time Grayson Allen like appeared on screen or touched the ball, they would boo him. And at the same time, he has taken off, as you mentioned, this series. So one, and I believe it was game three uh, when this really started, they were basically like just joking about it in the locker room, but then he actually carried out onto the floor where he had an and one. And as he did it, you, you see a picture of him smiling while the entire Bucks bench is booing him. And they're like, yo, he plays better when, he, when, when we boo him. So let's just keep doing it and see what happens. And it's become this funny thing. But I, 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 you're right. I think tonight there's going to be uh, a huge ruckus of boos. And I want people to understand that that is all out of love uh, in Milwaukee. They, they love Grayson Allen there, and it's not. So if you turn on the TV and you hear a bunch of boos, 
just know that Grayson Allen is doing something pretty spectacular. Supposedly, by the way, this is carrying over to other places that when Grayson walks into the locker room, that every one of the team starts booing him when he gets on the bus, that they all boo him on the bus. I just love these <laughs> kind of behind the scenes stories. How much do you think this is the some of these Bucks players like secretly in their heart of hearts being like, you know what? I really just want to boo this guy. I hated him in college. <laughs> like, like they're sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're taking out a little of their insecurity in this whole, in this whole meme. But the best part is that Grayson Allen seems to love it. So, Oh yeah. You know, like as long as he's cool with it and you know, whatever, if the conversations between him and his therapist are on the up and up, then, then this is great. I, I love it. Uh, look, we have said this many times about Duke. The worst thing is for people not to care. If people don't care about you, it's because you aren't very good. In Grayson Allen's case, everyone's booing him because he's playing his butt off and because he's a relevant player in the NBA on, on a very, very good team. That's what you want. When they stop booing you, that's when you know your career's in trouble. Grayson Allen's career, not in trouble at all because he is like the focal point of what's going on in this uh, Milwaukee versus Chicago series. And with that, we're all done here. On episode 419, I think it's 419. I don't even know anymore. I can't keep track. Too many, too many episodes uh, of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Again, I'm Jason Evans. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, folks, we have a tease coming at you this weekend. Our plan. Now, look, there could be there could be roster news. There could be things that change our plans. But for the moment, our plan is to have some real fun on the weekend podcast. We are going to do a draft of all the one-and-done players in Duke history. We will alternate, Sam, Jason, and Donald, and we will each select a one-and-done player from Duke's history and try and form the best team. We're then going to ask all of you to reach out to us and tell us who has drafted the superior team. And by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to send the emails early, you can go ahead and put my name on it because I am going to draft the best team. I have already come up with a brilliant strategy on this. Donald and Sam are going to be utterly befuddled I am definitely going to have the best team of one and done Dukies far better than what either one of these guys are going to have. I, I, that that's, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. I'm throwing it down. So so he already had this ready and we said, no, 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 we're going to push this back so we can have time to do some research. (laughs) Uh, But so we need to be, we need to be ready. We can't just walk it. Also the NFL drafted this weekend and I, I'm already focused on one draft. I can't be focused on two. Yeah. Jason, Jason tried to, to shove some, uh, some totally unnecessary, uh, you know, evergreen content into this episode where we had news to discuss. So, <laughs> you know, this is like this is like the time that I invented the stats game on the fly. I right. was just like, no, nope, <laughs> you guys are playing. Sorry, no, no prep. Uh, you don't even know what I'm doing here. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm making this up as I go along. But as I, I agreed, I agreed that we would not. I tried. Yes, I tried to get us to do it today. We're gonna do it over the weekend, uh, so you guys will have plenty of time. To, to look at the history of Duke one and Duns and come up with your, with your list. And, and by the way, it's worth noting, we are not counting post-college career. So, you know, like all the great stuff that Kyrie has done in the NBA, we're only considering what he did in college. So it makes it a little more difficult. Anyway, that's what's coming up on the DBR podcast. For, si- for Sam and Donald, I am Jason. Thanks so much for listening in. Don't forget to email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com like and subscribe all that jazz here's the duke band to play us out and take us home
By the way, did did you all see what John Morant did? Last oh night? yeah, it was it was a charge. So what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. It was it so, was absurd. So there is this there's this thing in basketball called the dope shit exception. And it applies <laughs> when something is so cool that it does not matter what it should have been. It was dope shit. And <laughs> that is the definition of the dope shit exception. I'm convinced that they did not call a charge because the refs were so busy going, oh my God, that they didn't yeah. blow their whistles. <laughs> It was it was amazing. That's what it was. Like blocker charge, Rich Chapman. It was it was amazing. And then he hit the game winner too. Yep, that kid is special. I just hope damn Zion could get on the floor and show that he can be special too. Oh well. I mean, he's already showed that. He showed flashes of special. Yeah, just not at all this season. Tell you guys by the way, my my fantasy team. That, that had Zion on it all season. My team was called the Land of Zion, even though he never played for me once. My fantasy team won the championship. I won like 400 bucks or something like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. See, I was, I was Zion built. is a consummate team player. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was built for postseason success. I had Kyrie playing, you know, on and off my bench all season. And then in the postseason, suddenly he played every game and he, he helped me out quite a bit down the stretch. Very good. 